Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. He's like, turn around and look in your backyard. Nobody is talking about water in America. And you're like, no, you're right. And so we went to Flint. That was the first place to start. It's the first place in America where you think of bad water. Hello, and welcome to Our Impact. I'm your host, Jeremy K. Spear. This show explores what our impact is, what we can do about it, and how we can help scale positive outcomes and solutions. We'll be learning from people doing strong work across nonprofits, academia, business, and sport to connect the dots and find ways we can all take action. This show is as a result of my own searching. A few years ago, I measured my carbon footprint for the first time, and I realized how my travel as a professional beach volleyball player is actually at odds with the positive impact I'm striving to have. I wanted to act, but it wasn't clear where to begin. I've made a number of changes since then, but I'm still learning more every day. I hope you find these conversations useful and that the ideas we explore might help you take action in your own life and community. This episode is brought to you by Mir. The reason I partner with Mir is that they make beautiful products I enjoy using day to day and traveling, which helps them cut down on single use plastic. I can't tell you how nice it is to have their Thermo 3D vacuum insulated bottles keep my water ice cold the whole day when I'm at the beach training or competing. My favorites for the beach and travel are the 42 ounce wide mouth water bottle for hydration, the 20 ounce travel tumbler for coffee, and the food canister that I pack my son's school lunches in. Aside from making awesome drinkware, they've earned B Corp, 1% for the planet, and climate neutral certifications, so you know they're taking transparent action to have a positive social and environmental impact. And if that was enough, every Mirror product sold helps fund nonprofit partners working at the intersection of communities and the environment. There's literally a giving code on every product, so you can look up Mir's impact made possible by your support. Go to mir.com and use Casebeer20 to receive 20% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rise Brewing Co. Rise makes my favorite nitro cold brew coffee and provides energy for good people to do good things. If I'm at home, I start my day with Rise's original black nitro cold brew with their oat milk, or if I'm heading to the beach to train or surf, I'll take a mocha or vanilla latte with me. The best part is that Rise is 100% USDA certified organic. The oat milk Rise makes is tasty and impactful. Farming oats uses about six times less land than farming dairy and six times less water than farming almonds. I've been working to shift towards a plant-based diet, but I'm not perfect and it's definitely a process. Rise makes it easier for me because I can swap half and half for Rise's tasty plant-based oat milk and I'm supporting certified organic farmers, all while enjoying delicious nitro coffee. Head to Rise Brewing Co. and use Jeremy's C15 for 15% off your order and free shipping. My guest today is Drew Fitzgerald. Drew is the co-founder with Jaden Smith of 501c3, which is a nonprofit dedicated to driving innovation around global water, energy, health, and shelter solutions. You're likely familiar with the Water Box, which started in Flint, Michigan, and has now scaled throughout the U.S., providing safe and clean drinking water to hundreds of thousands of Americans from historically marginalized communities. Drew is also a co-founder along with Will and Jaden Smith of Just Water, a certified B Corp, which made one of the first plant-based water bottles, reducing single-use plastic and emissions associated with bottled water. Before 501c3 and Just Water, Drew was a creative innovation director at MIT's School of Civil and Environmental Engineering and the creative director of the Plasma Science and Fusion Center at MIT. In our conversation, we talk about how Drew has combined his background in design and innovation to bring technology out of the lab and into viable products. He has applied his skills to create real-world solutions to interconnected problems around climate, water, food, energy, and race. Shortly after this interview, I went to the Dominican Republic for a beach cleanup with a nonprofit, Players for the Planet. 
some of the best baseball players in the world and a number of athletes from other sports came together to raise awareness. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for over a decade, and I've never once seen a beach without plastic. But the beaches we cleaned in the DR were the worst I've ever seen. I was literally walking through 12 inches of plastic trash and styrofoam. It made it very clear to me that the beach cleanups are just band-aids. It's a short-term fix. In order to affect real systemic change, we need corporations to pay for the true cost or externalities of their products. And that won't happen without better materials like the plant-based bottle that Drew and his team at Just Water designed. And then we also need real policy change. As always, if you have any feedback or suggestions for future topics or guests, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please consider sharing it with a friend. Drew Fitzgerald, thank you for coming on, man. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Loving the podcast and happy to help. So you've got a really interesting background. When people ask, how do you describe what you do? I have been in the impact space for probably well over a decade. And I look at sort of intersectionalities in terms of climate change and entrepreneurship. And I look at where impact can be deployed. So with the work that I do that's more applied, Myself and, and our group have been in water for about uh, well over 12 years in a variety of different ways, both commercially and in an impact and uh, charitable way, and, and, uh, largely in communities of color domestically that are suffering in communities that are very uh, uh, similar to Flint, Flint, Michigan. And uh, over the course of the time of doing this work, you just realize how, how fragile the U.S. water system is. You know, the impact work that I do is largely science-based and largely technological-based. There's a lot of engineering that goes involved with it. And it really looks at energy, food, and water, and with a baseline of equality and justice, who needs the energy, food, and water, what communities. And then there's a subtle baseline below that, which is this, all of this work is in service of uh, public health uh, and safety. So I'm in the impact space. That's what I do. <laughs> Very cool. You co-founded Just with Jaden and Will Smith, and then 501c3, a nonprofit with Jaden. What are the problems you're working to solve and what kind of projects and products are you developing through Just and 501c3? Well, Just is, Just is largely, you know, bottled water. It's expanded out to a couple of different flavors, but it really was at a came at a time when plastic was just starting to, on the uptake to be pretty vilified. And so when we started out, we, there were people saying, no one's going to buy water in a, a bottle that they can't see the water. I was like, oh yeah? And so I was like, <laughs> yeah, so it informed the design. I also have a design background. So that's the reason the word water is so freaking huge on the bottle. Yeah. And, and I went around testing a whole bunch of different blues to see which one was the one that looked like water. Just because like some bougie buyer at some store was like, you know, crapping on the idea. Anyway, we're here a decade later and we're, we've done very, very well. You know, the spirit on injustice to look at materials and how things are made and how we can do them better. And also, how are things made that are inside the bottle or in a package or what have you? And to look and see if there's storytelling for any of those. And one of the mantras that I came upon early in Just was, it's not what you sell, it's what you stand for. And yes. you know, I think still holds, holds water today, so to speak. I sell any water puns throughout this last time. And so, you know, even this way we looked at fabricating the bottle to where we would ma manufacture, what types of people need jobs, where are we employing it, what type of facility would we employ it in, and even how are you acquiring the water? Because having been a water entrepreneur for well over a decade, you know, I know a lot about water and I'm experienced yeah. like just do your homework and study, you know, and knowledge is never, ever ended. You know, it's not absolute. 
And so we developed the first ever public-private water model, which is a little more of a deeper sauce than just it, but it basically to prevent things from happening like had happened in Flint, which was a failure of infrastructure. And obviously infrastructure is quite a popular word these days in yeah. 2021. And so part of the money we make per gallon of water, money that goes back into the city of Glens Falls, half of it by contract has to go to infrastructure repairs. So now this is weird. All old cities have infrastructure, leaky pipes, all sorts of things. That's just kind of the nature, nature of the beast. Glens Falls, in this case, has a ton of excess water. You know, it's a middle-class manufacturing town. So there's always challenges. You know, we got a snow removal, police force, paying, you know, pensions, all that stuff. Yeah. And so we, we were able to teach them a new way to commercialize something that they have a ton of inventory. I mean, well over a billion gallons excess just laying away. And so get this, by taking more water out of the res reservoir, selling it at like Whole Food, we're actually helping infrastructure. So we're actually raising the water level. So let's just think about that for a second. We're wow. taking water out and raising the level because they lose 500 million gallons a year just from leakage. So this model does that. And it's an open source model. Anyone can do this anywhere in the world if they want. We're happy to teach them. So, so that's where that's where Just is. And it's, it's humming along. Uh, uh, we're very proud of it. And, you know, it has the potential to scale out into other products as well. And there's all a team working on that. And we just launched and, a, a sparkling version too called Bubbles. So, and it's really, really soft, tiny, tiny little bubbles. It's good. It's great. And that water is uh, responsibly acquired in Montana. So nice. Yeah, it's dope. Yeah, it seems like you guys were kind of ahead of the curve with creating a plant based bottle for the regular water and then using aluminum for the bubbly water, which is infinitely recyclable. And yep. then you're also taking that work in a for-profit certified B Corp in just, and then applying that towards, like you said, infrastructure and providing clean and safe drinking water with 501c3, which yeah. started in Flint, Michigan. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about how it got started and then how you've been scaling? In the first year, you have provided 17,000 gallons of safe drinking water, eliminating the need for 100,000 plastic water bottles. Yeah. And you've scaled dramatically during COVID and you're on track to impact in 2022, 1 million people and 200,000 gallons of safe drinking water, eliminating yeah. the need for a million and a half single serve plastic bottles, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it's very uh, gratifying. And, you know, a lot of credit goes to our partners on the ground. Because I was surrounded with a lot of smart water engineers, both, you know, at MIT and, and UCLA and then the operational team at Just, we just got really good at water. And we're around people that were design, build, fabrication, people that have built water systems on five continents. And, you know, when you think water, obviously Flint happened in 2013. You know, people weren't talking about water in America, but for Flint. Flint seemed like an anomaly. When you think water, you think, you know, Sub-Saharan Africa, maybe in Central or South America. That's where the water idea is of drought, right? Yeah. And I remember we went to USAID. It's like for how you deploy money for from foreign policy and international relations. And we were like, hey, we really want to get involved with the water space because we know we think we could do a good job. Hey, we probably want to go to like Uganda or Sub-Saharan Africa or something. The guy's like, no, dude. He said, <laughs> he, he goes, there's so many, there's so many people already working at space. It's so fraught with corruption. It's so challenging to get stuff done there. He's like, turn around and look in your backyard. Nobody is talking about water in America. And we are like, fine, you know, you're right. And it, and so we went to, we went to Flint. Was, that was the first place to start. It's the first place in America where you think of bad water. And it was a lesson in sort of social reconstruction, not with us, but in the idea of, you know, we met with 
fantastic people up there. Uh, first Trinity Baptist Church was our first uh, group and Pastor Ezra Tillman and uh, uh, First Lady Katrina Tillman, you know, brought us in and we were like, we just want to come in quietly and just understand what's going on in the ground. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be that guy like, hey, I got a <laughs> this solution is what you for need you. To do. Exactly. Yeah. We were very conscientious of that. And so we went really, really quietly on a snowy day and just kind of sat and talked to saw how things are being done. And also we learned, you know, how, how, how this community has just been lied to and so much mistrust is there. And, you know, sadly, some celebrities or politicians come in and do a selfie and take a victory lap. And it's just, it's a little, I don't know, it's not ethical, I don't think. Um, or, or ill thought out, maybe I should say, you know, sure. I'm sure celebrity acts was like, here, I'm trying to use my platform to bring attention to this. So we went there with an engineering mindset, saw how, how currently they were doing water distribution with bottled water and knowing, having been in the water space for so long, bottled water is really heavy. It's very incorrigible. It's a pain in the ass to move around. And so what church buys a forklift? This is what these church deacons were doing. And, and, and you know, there's some days in Flatwood freezing when these deacons will have the church clothes on and in the morning and then they'll put on one carhartt onesies and they're out moving pallets of water all over the back parking lot because there'd be like a drive-through of cars around the block that are coming in for like two cases of water they pop the trunk they put it together yeah. the cost the carbon footprint the plastic the just back-breaking work on these deacons which are men who are retired who worked at the automotive plant and are just like i just want to volunteer at the church and be my grandkids now i'm like a logistics guy, but we're doing it for the, for the communities. We're able to look at that and, and see, okay, I see how you're doing this. I also sort of, uh, you know, became a little bit more of an expert of what the politics of uh, fund are and where, what would be the expectation of more systemic infrastructure repairs, which is still going on. And so we're like, we'll go back to the shop and we'll create a bridge solution. So we created this thing called the water rocks, which is easy to manage. It takes out everything. You can dial it in like a, it's a record in terms of what stuff you want to get out. It really has delivered. We did one Flint, which was great. And then we just said, all right, what else can we do? So we moved, moved across down to a, to a Latinx center. And then that gave us a further learning about other social issues. When FEMA originally descended on town and had water distribution zone, you had to show an ID, right? And in the Latin community, there's a lot of suspicion around selling IDs. So first of yeah. all, we have a water problem and Flint is largely African-American. You have a water problem, which in itself is historically fucked up. And then you have another layer of marginalization to another constituency, which is the Latinx community. So it's all this intermingling. And so we were like, oh, we have to go do something at Latinx. Then with the good help of my good friends over at Kind Humans, they saw the work we did and they wanted to sponsor another water box that we did on the other side of town in the North End at a place called Sylvester Broom Empowerment Village, which is this dynamite school that is led by these just incredible staff. And it's in the north side of Flint, which is kind of rough and tumble. It's a food desert, but you know, cities start to regenerate. They, you know, they're in concentric circles. When you go to downtown Flint, it's actually quite, quite nice and very lovely. There's, you know, you a lot of history, old buildings, you know, farmer's markets, but the distance between the north side and the center of town is not that far, but it's a world away for different constituencies. So we did that. Then we put another box in, in Flint. So we have four in Flint and that was enough, specifically with the storytelling, that was enough to get the attention of a variety of different people. Because we, we did a good job of the storytelling of telling the story of the people that are there, not just like, take me, look what I did, none of that crap. Yeah. You know, a little bit about how does it work, but right now, anyone who's interested knows how the water box works. And, we, and there's no IP. Anyone wants to build a water box, we have plans and stuff, we're open sourcing it. So some STEM class and 
Taiwan wants to build a water box, just download the plans. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And now 2019, 2020, now currently half a million Americans who are water insecure live within one mile of a water box. And that's amazing. Yeah, that's a cool, that, that's a, it's enough to get you up in the morning. So then we started heading to the West Coast and we put two in Watts, which some great, great people in, in town in, in, in Watts. That's a wonderful community. I knew very, very little of it. Having lived in LA for 20 years, I just didn't spend much time in Watts or Compton. Mm -hmm. uh, and just Watts is the youngest community. It also has the shortest life expectancy. It's tw like I live up here in Encino and somebody who's my equivalent in Watts would have 12 years, a 12 year less life expectancy. You know, That's a, crazy just because all of the environmental factors, access to clean drinking water, smog food. and pollution, urban yeah. canopy and heat island effect. Yep. You got it. You got it. And now we have two in Skid Row as well, which is yeah. a different scenario. That's a water access issue. Uh, and so we, went, we first went that versus like Flint, that's a water quality issue. In Skid Row, there's just no water. It's it's yeah. it's a it's an urban heat island. We went down there. We we're like, my God, is it hot? This is hot. hot. So Jaren, our dynamite engineer, retooled these boxes to have chilling units on them. So the water comes out like ice cold. And that's that's neat. And the way the two wonderful organizations that are doing the Lord's work down there. This episode is brought to you by Caldera Lab. Caldera Lab is a certified B Corp, makes high-performance skincare by combining pharmaceutical-grade science with nature's most potent ingredients. Finally, a skincare routine that uses non-toxic, sustainable ingredients and actually works. In high school, I got a nasty sunburn that literally burnt the pigment out of my skin and left me with a surprisingly symmetrical two-tone mustache that led to my nickname, the Lorax. I've been playing beach volleyball professionally for over a decade, using sunscreen every day, and have spent more time in the sun than I care to think about. I can't tell you how damn happy I am to have a simple and effective daily routine to leave my skin feeling healthy and help offset all the exposure and damage that can come with playing beach volleyball. I use their three product regimen daily. The Clean Slate is a balancing cleanser I use in the shower. The base layer is a light moisturizer I use every morning. And the Good is an antioxidant-packed face serum I put on before bed every night. The regimen is backed by a clinical trial with real people and 100% participants reported healthier looking skin. So I'm not alone when I say this stuff actually works. I love Caldera Lab's mission and products, so I want to share a special discount of 20% off for our impact listeners. Go to calderalab.com slash casebeer or use the discount code casebeer at checkout. That's C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com slash casebeer. So you guys got started in Flint with water water quality expanded mm -hmm. to LA and other places across the US. Mm -hmm. And then you start to look at other issues. Cause like you said, all these issues are interconnected, whether you're looking at access to healthy food, mm -hmm. food deserts, access yep. to renewable energy. What is the laboratory for climate justice and how are you guys approaching these interconnected issues with the laboratory for climate justice and then race X as well? Well, race X is a theory that we wrote down because we started looking specifically in 2020 when justice and equity and equality and the Black Lives Matter movement, and all of a sudden sort of America woke up and realized that it had a race problem. We started looking at the issues that matter to us. And I, I, I care about things like, you know, voter equality, gun control, criminal justice reform. We did a little equation. It was like race X gun control, right? Race X health outcomes. There's a, you can make a list. And as you, at the top of the list, you kind of know a lot of the subject areas and there's people working on those things. But as you start going down, you start looking at like, holy shit, like race X food access to food and food deserts, race X water 
and there's been racial inequity and in access to water since before Jim Crow. And like, why the fuck in hell? And you start looking yeah. at you, it's like, and we just look around our map and, you know, we look at the communities that we are in now and where we want to go. And they're all, you know, black, brown and indigenous communities. So that theory of race, sex, water, race, sex, food, race, sex, energy, isn't nobody, people aren't really talking about that. And we were like, this is an area that we know because we're involved with science and, and engineering. And we want to talk about where, where we think these the communities could use these innovations best are the communities that are, have a variety of sort of racial inequity issues. So that's, that's race sex as a theory. And the lab for climate justice sort of follows that from the hardware standpoint, from an innovation standpoint, it, it starts between Samuel School of Engineering at UCLA and the MIT. And from my work at MIT and having been in these environments for quite some time, there are a lot of innovations and a lot of work and a lot of R&D and a lot of tech that doesn't get out of the lab, doesn't get out of mm -hmm. academia. You know, we're working on something. Our very first thing out of this is a dynamite, low-cost water sensor. Think of it like the nest for water. And oh. it's astounding. And because we'll go and retrofit all our boxes with these, but it, there's, no, there's no private entity. In this case, we're a nonprofit, but there's no private entity that has real-time profiling of public drinking water, All right? There's databases you can go to, but I'm an Encino. My buddy Sticks is in Watts. If we type in both those two zip codes, we get the exact same reading. That's inaccurate. It's totally inaccurate. So what if I could actually put a sensor in Sticks's house or his mom's house? And we get in the cloud real-time data about this. And that's incredibly valuable for a lot of different impactful reasons. And it's incredibly valuable in terms of helping water systems become efficient. So that's, that's a per perfect thing that that sensor innovation would not have gotten out unless we came in and said, Hey, we've done that ground. That's awesome. We could use that. This is neat. And so you rinse and repeat. You know, there's, there's a variety of different other ones. I, I, I don't want to talk too much about them just yet, but they're all sure. things that have to do with energy, food, water, uh, and justice. And it's deploying innovations in specific communities or in a direct to consumer standpoint that are just better. You know, it's what, yeah. what I learned from Just Water, that was a one-off and I learned so much about that sort of environment. And what I've learned from developing water boxes with our team, that's an innovation that's one-off. How, how do I scale that up? And how do I get some of the hottest tech being developed, use my experience from outside academia to say, hey, guys, no, no, no. You're, you're, in a, you're not in the business you think you are, or, Hey, there is a business here or whatever. I'm after this podcast, I'm actually doing a call with 12 fellows at MIT to, to, to talk about storytelling and what they're trying to do. And I would I, love to dig into that. Cause that's one of the things that I think, like you said, trying to get these solutions that exist and raise awareness and get them out of the lab and into the hands of nonprofits doing work on the front lines and then scale them into profitable businesses as well. Sure. So what do you think are some of the ways that you've found successful telling just and 501c3 stories? And what are some, I guess, what can be improved more broadly? Where do you see kind of gaps in storytelling that you think more organizations could improve on? I think what sometimes if you're not, if you don't inherently get storytelling, it seems kind of a little bit distant, like, oh, what do, I, yeah. do I hire a team? How do I know? I mean, it's expensive. What do I do? What do I do? You know, and a lot of times, but for, let's say, advertising or something like that, a lot of times, you know, be, and to a certain extent, but for up until maybe the last decade, 
impact. It was always like the stepchild of whatever your business was. We're bottom line yeah. and we got this and this. And, you know, Betsy runs the nonprofit and I don't know what she does, but yeah. And so, and then I think the same is true of storytelling. It's with a younger generation of customers or fans or whatever, you have to be able to describe what you do from an emotional or humanistic standpoint, you know, not features and, you know, made from whatever. That's cool. But impact can be very emotional because you're helping people, you're helping animals, you're helping biospheres, you know, anything you're doing, whether it's probably for the ocean or whether it's the work we're doing in more of an urban and built environment. The stories of what problems exist that you probably weren't aware of and what people are, are affected on a three-act structure, you know, we have a really big problem here. We think we can solve it. Look at the impact that's happened. Look at now what this community or this people impacted could do that they couldn't do before. So for me, it's, if anyone is like timid or, or, you know, reluctant to dive into storytelling, you, you got to, yeah. it's not, as I said, at the top of the, of the podcast, it's not what you sell. It's what you stand for. So hundred percent, what do you stand for? And I, one of the things is as you get deeper into the sort of engineering MIT space, I'm working on, you know, nano fabrication. I don't know the storytelling aspect. And I had, I make a joke with my, my good buddy, Professor Jeff Grossman, who runs the, he, the Department of Material Science. And if I say to him, hey, Jeff, what are you working on? He'll say, um, uh, today we're uh, fabricating nanoscale desalinated graphene meshes. And I'm like, no, 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 no. you are re reducing gender-based violence in the developing world for women and girls and providing more access to education because they're not uh, foraging for water as much. So your little membrane on 77 Mass Avenue in a Petri dish on floor six can have a resounding effect on the out health outcomes and educational outcomes and as such client outcomes for women and girls that we, you will probably never meet. And so that's the last mile story of technology, how it works, who it helps. So that's kind of just our approach in terms of storytelling. That's spot on, man. And I think that's a wonderful place to wrap up. I want to be respectful of your time. I know you got a busy day ahead of you. Thank you again for coming on, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man, it's great. I love what you're doing and I love the community that you're in and everything. And let me know if you need any more help. Keep up the good work. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. All right, Have homie. a good one, Drew. Hey, this is Jeremy again. Thanks for listening to another episode of Our Impact. I hope you found this conversation useful and interesting. If you have any feedback about this episode, suggestions for future guests or topics, please leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.